by way of review, I put a few more at the top of your sheet. But just quickly, we'll go through what we've covered so far. We've looked at Joseph's early family life and the crazy events that shaped his childhood. Um, we also looked at how his father Jacob set the tone in the family with his leadership or lack thereof. And I think at this point, those first two bullet points, I bet you a lot of us can relate to those. How many of you have crazy families? You don't have to raise your hand. But uh, I mean, <laughs> yes, she does have a crazy family. I'll go on record. No. Well, yeah, actually. But uh, anyway, I mean, it's very, it can, we, we all relate to that, you know. And then uh, how his father Jacob set the tone. And, you know, a lot of us probably didn't have a great uh, godly father in our lives that, that's, uh, that led well according to Scripture. So, you know, we get saved out of these situations. And, uh, and then uh, last week we kind of looked at uh, how not to say everything that comes into our minds. We, we kind of looked at uh, using wisdom before we speak because Joseph, remember with his dreams, he, you know, his brothers hated him. And they hated him because his dad sort of favored him. And then he's going off and telling them, you know, the dreams that he had and ticking them off because he's saying, you know, you're going to bow down to me one day. And then he's... Uh, has another dream and he does the same thing again. Just maybe a little lack of wisdom to, I don't know, maybe just keep that, you know, tell that to your dad maybe or something instead. But all that to say, he's a 17-year-old kid and a lot of times kids do that. And then we ended last week with verse 11 where it says, and the brethren envied him and his father observed the same. The envy of his brothers. Um, and ultimately, you know what? Jacob, his father, set Joseph up for what we're about to read. You know, he... He set his own son up for this uh, by not dealing with his, the sins in his, older, in, in his older sons and by you know, showing the favoritism that he did. So let's, uh, let's read. We're going to read from verse 12 to the rest of the chapter. And uh, <clears throat> you know what? Really, Jacob suffered from, from what a lot of parents suffer from. And it's the my children, my child wouldn't do that syndrome. <laughs> you know, they really do. Most of us think, oh, no, not my kid. How many People have had, you know, seen the news after someone's you know, committed a heinous crime and they're shocked that it's their kid. You know? And we all ought to look at our kids and realize they're all little demons. Okay? They are. They're all capable of heinous crime apart from this book. It's it. It's the only thing that separates them from, from this and murder. And you'll see that in the chapter today. Um, so we, we have to, you know... Get it out of our minds that, oh, not our kids, not our kids. No, it could be your kid, especially if you're not, you know, who you portray yourself to be when you're at church or when you're somewhere else, you know, because our kids know us. We're not able to fake it in front of them. We, they're with us all the time, and they see the real deal, and uh, they tend to be like you, and we're going to cover some of that ground today. But let's read in uh, chapter 37. We're going to read verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, that's, jo that's Jacob, and Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it will be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. 
And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured devoured him. And we, we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. Reuben, by the way, is the oldest of of the twelve. So he heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was gone, or excuse me, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he ran his clothes. So apparently Reuben, just so you know, wasn't, wasn't part of this little thing when they sold him. He, he had, I don't know, gone off to do whatever Reuben was doing. But it doesn't say. Um, Verse 30, and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no? And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, and he refu- but he refused to com- be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into, my, into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, and captain of the guard. Wow. Honestly, what a tragic ending at this point of the chapter i mean it's just what what an incredible crime to perpetrate against your your own brother and uh you know the fact is these brothers they thought they got away with it they thought they committed the absolute perfect crime they were like this is awesome not only did we get rid of him this dreamer we actually profited from this we got a little we got a little you know silver 20 pieces of it i guess but uh you know um there is no such thing as the perfect crime. That's, that's what's great. Um, but how, how many of you uh, have ever seen Columbo, the, the TV show Columbo? Or, or it personally, it's one of my favorite detective shows. Um, I love Columbo. You know, he, he was, uh, you know, no one ever got anything past Columbo. He, he, actually, he always went into the whole scene. If you've never seen it, you got to go watch one. I don't know where you can watch them, but I'm sure it's out there. But uh, he always played dumb. He always played like he was an idiot, barely could, you know, zip his own pants, you know, but he walks in there and he's, you know, and these guys, he gets them talking, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, they start revealing that, you know, 
they're, they're, they're the ones. And he ends up catching them in their own words. But uh, nobody got away with anything in Columbo. And, uh, you know, a couple of my other favorite, it's, it's really my favorite genre, movie, TV show, even book. Uh, anybody ever read Agatha Christie and uh, Hercule Poirot? Uh, just same, same thing with him. You're not going to pass anything off off of Hercule Poirot. He's going he's gonna to get to the, the, the bottom of it and figure out the crime. And then, then you have Adrian Monk. Anybody ever watched Monk? Uh, you know, my, my wife thinks she married Adrian Monk. Uh, he's a bit, and Carrie apparently agrees. But Monk's a little OCD, a little obsessive compulsive on some things. He's a bit of a literalist. Uh, he doesn't quite catch some sarcasm or some jokes. I don't think that's my fault. I think sometimes they're not very clear. But uh, he's a bit of a germaphobe. Uh, had to have wipes. I wish my wife would carry wipes. I think that's a good idea. But... Uh, but anyway, you know what, Adrian Monk also, he, he's, he's, he's just like the other guys. Nobody got away with anything. And the point in me telling you all this is, honestly, it's even more so with God. Because on Judgment Day, I'm telling you, every, every work is going to be brought into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And I'm telling you what, there's, there's going to be nothing uh, that's going to be uh, gotten away with in, in eternity. So... Every, every uh, transgression of the moral law is going to receive just retribution. And, uh, well, that's, a, that's a gr an incredible, fearful day for guilty sinners. And it's also a fearful day for the demons and, and the devils. Because, I mean, the Bible even says they fear and tremble at that day. And uh, you know what? And it's our job, honestly, to make sure we can get other people to realize they need to be trembling at that day as well. So... But I don't think it's a stretch when I say this. I'm telling you, I think every criminal feels justified in their crime. Every criminal. They'll, they'll justify themselves in their crime. And let, let me just go through a few. Um, we'll, we'll just uh, start with thieves. You know, thieves, they, they generally steal because they think, well, you have too much. Or they have a right to take from you because they don't have enough. Uh, they'll, they'll justify it that, you know, they, they need your stuff. Uh, you know, you go with adulterers. You know what? They're not going to be faithful to their spouse because they don't think their spouse has done the right thing by them. And they're justified in their sin because of that. And uh, I'll go even on to Adolf Hitler. You know what? He thought he was doing the world a favor. He thought the Jews were the problem because of what they did to him when he was a child. I mean, he, he had a little run-in with Jewish people and he didn't feel like he got dealt with the right way. And so he had it out for the Jewish people from the very beginning. He was justified in his own mind for, you know, killing six million Jews. Um, you have abortion doctors. Uh, how, how many of you have seen the movie Gosnell? You even know what I'm talking about. My wife and I. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, you ought to go rent it. I'm telling you what, it's on Amazon Prime. Is that what we did? We had to pay for it, but I'm telling you. It's, it's a movie about Gosnell is that abortion doctor from, I believe, Philadelphia. And he's really the, the, the most notorious serial killer now in the United States, if you believe what we believe. And that is that life, well, quite frankly, he was killing babies outside the womb. He was actually snipping their spinal cord after they were born. And there was much testimony to that. And the movie isn't graphic. Uh, it's really, they really do a good job. I mean, it's sad. But I'm telling you, Gosnell, his defense was, I was helping those ladies. I was doing, I was, I, they needed me. I mean, his whole thing was he was justified in what he did. And I'm telling you, you'll find every criminal will justify themselves. In fact, turn to Luke chapter 10. 
And I think if you, th- if you think about the last week or even years in your home with your children, I would bet whenever you were dealing with sin in your children, they most of the time are justifying themselves. Why they hit their brother or why they hit their sister. Or, I'm telling you, everybody justifies themselves. In Luke chapter uh, 10, I'm sorry I didn't get there while I was yapping. Luke 10 verse 29, it says, But he, willing to, what's it say? Justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Uh, didn't give you any context there, but I'm telling you, this guy was going to justify himself, just like all of us will when we're sinning. And we've got to watch ourselves. Apart from Scripture, we tend to justify ourselves in our sin. And it's exactly what the brothers did here with casting their brother in a pit and then selling him off to, to uh, Egypt. So, anyway, we will move on. Uh, historic, we're, we're looking at the three different applications of Scripture each, each week. Um, the historical ac- application is, is going to always be the same. It's, it's believe it. You, you read what you believe and you believe what it says because it actually happened. Uh, this is not a fictional story. Joseph was an actual person. Um, prophetically and doctrinally, this perhaps uh, this uh, pictures for us. Joseph is is the most perfect type of Christ. Uh, we don't need to turn there, but Luke twenty four twenty seven. Uh, I'm just going to remind you. It's when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, and it says he expounded unto them uh, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I'm telling you what, what a, I would have loved to have been there. And I imagine it's, got to, it's going to be something a little bit about like what we're doing here, how he's showing them, see how Joseph did this? That was me. See how Joseph did this? That was me. See how Joseph did this? That was me. And, uh, and, and you could do it with just about any Old Testament story. Jesus is Joseph. And uh, he pictures for us Joseph uh, or Jesus Christ. So uh, we're going to start going through those. Number nine, we're gonna st- we, we did one through eight the first few weeks. And now number nine, I want you to look in verses 12 to 13. You can make your way back to Genesis if you would. Verses 12 and 13, it says, And uh, Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send thee unto them. And he said unto them, Here am I. Sounds like, Here am I, send me. And that's exactly what... Uh, what Jacob or what, what God the Father did with Jesus Christ, He sent forth His Son. In fact, I'm gonna to save us time. I put the, some of the verses up here uh, for the doctrinal part of the, the message here up on the screen. So, First John 4:10 says, "Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to the, be the propitiation for our sins." And then in John 20:21, 20, then said Jesus to them again, "Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you." So just as Joseph was sent by his father. God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ. Number 10, Joseph seeks the welfare of his brethren. That's in verse 14. It says the reason he was sent. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren. See whether it be well with thy brethren. Jesus was sent, you know what, to save us, not to condemn us. Look in John 3.17, or you don't need to look in there, look up on the screen. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, we were already condemned by the law. We didn't need condemnation. We had that already. We needed saving. And that's exactly what uh, uh, God sent Jesus to do, to save us. And that's exactly what Israel, or Jacob here, sent Joseph to see that it's well with his brethren. He was concerned for them because, you know what, they were evil. And uh, anyway, uh, number 11. Joseph was sent forth 
from the Vale of Hebron. Now, Hebron means fellowship or communion. Fellowship or communion. Now, God the Father and God the Son were in perfect communion and perfect fellowship from eternity past. And he's, he was sent forth. And you know what? I believe they even had perfect communion and fellowship when he became a, uh, a baby and you know, when he grew and was on this earth. But I'm telling you what, there was something that happened where that fellowship was broken and he had to send him forth from that fellowship. And I'm going to throw the verse up. It was when he was on the cross. And read this verse. Check this out. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, 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 lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what? I can't explain it. I don't know that I understand it. But I know one thing. For a moment in time, God the Father and God the Son were not one like they were. And God the Father turned his back on God the Son. And he did it because of your sin and mine. And the world's sin. And uh, so he, he left that perfect communion. He was, do you know when he sweat drops of blood? He wasn't afraid of the, the pain. He was afraid of that verse right there. He knew what was coming. God the Father, whom he was in perfect communion with, was going was gonna to have to turn his back on him because he hates sin. And thankfully, he, hates sin. he loved us enough to allow you know, that sin to be laid upon Jesus Christ for our, for our sins. But uh, like I said, I can't explain that really doctrinally. I just know the Trinity is the Trinity, but I know that verse is that verse. And God the Father forsook God the Son because he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Um, number 12, Joseph came to Shechem, which means shoulder. That was in the, uh, the last part of verse 14. He sent forth from Hebron, and then he came to Shechem, which means shoulder. Jesus put our sin on his broad shoulders, and he took it to the cross. And in Isaiah 53, says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He took our sin to the cross and put it on himself, thankfully. Number 13, Joseph now becomes a wanderer in the field. And that's exactly what these verses teach. The field is the world in Matthew 13, 38. And then Matthew 8, 20 says about... Uh, him being a wanderer in the field. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Um, number 14, Joseph seeks until he finds his brethren. Um, verse 17 says, and you know, he's, he's looking for him. He came to Shechem. Personally, if I'm Joseph, I'm like, okay, I did what my father asked. I went, looked. They weren't there. Sorry, couldn't find them. But no, he went after him. He kept going for him, And he went all the way to Dothan. And... Uh, Look in uh, verse or chapter 19, verse 10 of, of Luke. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Um, Jesus sought you and I until he found us, thankfully, right? Um, and the key is, have you ever been found? But more importantly, have you ever been lost? I mean, I'm telling you, you've got to get people lost before you can get them saved today. And that's really always been the case. I don't know. I, I remember one time when I was in Kings Island, at, uh, I was a boy, I'm telling you, I was five or six years old, but uh, I was lost, and I remember exactly where it was, it was around that little Eiffel Tower thing they have, and I remember I couldn't find my mom or dad, I don't know what I had done, but I had lost them, and I'm telling you, the panic and terror in my heart when I was lost as a kid was, you know, I, I, just, it, I was lost for maybe like three to four minutes, I mean, then they found me, but I'm telling you, it was terrifying, 
And I'm telling you what, we've got to get people terrified <laughs> because that's what being lost is. And that's why I ask you, have you been lost? Have you been terrified? Have you been scared of what's going to happen and understand why Christ came to find you? Um, we've got to get people lost. Um, number 15, Joseph was conspired against. Joseph was conspired against by his uh, brothers. That was in verse 18. Before they even saw him come and they conspired against him to slay him. And then look at these verses. In Matthew 2.13, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Rest assured, Jesus was being conspired against from the very beginning. And then also, it didn't, it didn't stop there when he was a baby, or when he was two even. It, it went on. The Pharisees, it says, Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. And that's one of like a, you know, 50 verses I could have thrown up here. Um, so Joseph was conspired against just like our Savior was. Number 16, Joseph's words were not believed. Joseph's words were not believed. These, uh, this I do not have on, your, uh, on the overhead. So if you turn to Matthew 27. Look in verse 39, Matthew 27 and verse 39. It says, and they, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. I'm just saying, look at those two verses. I mean, first of all, they certainly despised his words and didn't believe him, right? But I'm telling you, notice what they asked him to do. They wanted him off the cross. They wanted him off the cross. Because it's the cross. You know, the cross cannot be counterfeited. It really can't be. Christ can be counterfeited. We have plenty of counterfeit Christs, okay? But the preaching of the cross, when done correctly, can't be counterfeited. It just can't be. Look in Philippians. I want to take you to one other passage here. Look in Philippians 3. I'll explain what I mean. In verse 18, it says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of Christ. No, no, it doesn't say that, does it? They are the enemies of what? The cross of Christ. They do not like that cross. They want him off that cross. But see, the cross was necessary. When preached correctly, that cross was a legal transaction taking place. And it was your sin being paid for. And it was, you know, we had broken God's law and he was paying the fine for us on that cross. Some, a legal transaction was taking place to allow us to be saved, to allow us to be forgiven. See, God can't, could not have saved us any other way. There was no other way to save us. We needed a perfect sacrifice. He couldn't have just said, well, it'll be by baptism. That doesn't make sense. It couldn't be by baptism. How is that just in God's eyes? How does that wipe away sin? Someone had to pay for your sin. It's either going to be you or a perfect sacrifice. And it was Jesus Christ. And that's why they wanted him off that cross. They hated the cross. And uh, that's why we've got to preach the cross biblically. We've got to make sure we're always preaching the cross of Christ. Not just the love of Christ, but the cross. Yes, love is in the cross. But so is judgment. Always judgment there too. 
But when you can take, off the, take him off that cross, there's no judgment. And I got way more than what I wanted to say there, but I'm telling you, that is so important to understand. The cross is the, is the key. The cross of Christ. Um, so Jesus' words were not believed. You're in Matthew 27. We're going to stay there. Joseph is insulted. And just as Joseph is insulted, look in Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hole and gathered him, unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. I'm telling you what, what an insult to the King of Kings. But they did that. I mean, that, 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 was, that was our sin too that did that. But he was, uh, he was insulted just like Joseph was. And uh, then number 18, Joseph was cast into the pit. Um, I think I have that verse, Matthew 12. Just as Joseph was cast into the pit, it says in, in Matthew 12, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's when Jesus goes, he's resurrected, he's out of the grave, he goes into Abraham's bosom and he leads captivity captive. But <clears throat> Joseph was cast into a pit just as Jesus was. Then verse 19, or number 19 there. Uh, Joseph was taken out of the pit alive in his body. Joseph was taken out of the pit alive. That's in verse 28, but we read the story already. But look in, uh, up on your screen. He is not here, it says in Matthew 28, for he is risen. And then look in uh, John 21, 14. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Joseph, alive, out of the pit. Same with Jesus. He's alive. Number 20, Joseph's brethren mingle hypocrisy with their hatred. If you would, go back to Genesis. I want you to see this in verse 27. Genesis 37, look in verse 27. It says, Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother in our flesh and his brethren were content. You know, the, what kind of what kind of wicked reasoning is that? Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Yeah, that's better. That 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 does that does me good. I mean, they were all content with that. They're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's that's even better. I'm like, the hypocrisy in that. They thought they were better people. They were good brothers. They were good people for not killing him. I'm like, completely wicked. But uh, in uh, John 18 and verse, two, I have 28 and 31 on here, but this is the same thing that happens with Jesus. It says, Then led they Jesus from, uh, from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, that they might eat the Passover. I mean, they wouldn't go in there because it's the Passover. They didn't want to be defiled. But they were more than willing to break all kinds of laws and rules at this point to get Jesus in there, to get him crucified. And then in verse 31, Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. I mean, the hypocrisy in the Pharisees is, is just rampant, as you can see here with the, brethren, or with the brothers of Joseph. And then uh, number 21, Joseph is sold, and I think it's interesting, with it being Judah's plea. 
Look in verses 26 to 28 there. It says, And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? It was Judah that wanted to sell him. And I think it's interesting that Joseph, or that Jesus, who, who, who sold him out? It was Judas. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for tw uh, 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was sold for 20. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. I kind of think that's interesting. The Trinity was sold for perfect three and Joseph for two, but they're 20. And then number 22, Joseph's blood-sprinkled coat is presented to his father. And they took that coat back to Jacob and showed it to him and said, oh yeah, that's his, that's his coat. Well, the same thing happened with Jesus' blood. It was, it was presented to the Father in heaven as payment for your sin and mine. And uh, it says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by what? The blood of Jesus. And to Jesus, and, uh, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And then my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So that is a quick, incredible rundown of the doctrinal application of that passage. And uh, to me, honestly, guys, that is incredible and supernatural. We have 22 ways right now that Joseph is a type of Christ, and I'm sure I've missed some. And the fact is, we're not even through chapter, the first chapter in dealing with Joseph. In 22 ways, he's pictured for us Jesus Christ. Um, so to me, that's incredible. So now we're going to move on to the practical application. And I know in some ways I've said this isn't a parenting class, but honestly, the whole Bible's a parenting book. So, and I, I honestly did study this out with my children in mind. So a lot of these points that we're even going to look at practically today and from here on out are going to be applicable to parenting. But they're also applicable in many other ways. But uh, this first point is going to be very related to parenting. So in verses 12 to 14, you have Israel sending out Joseph uh, to, to, to check on the welfare of, of these evil brothers. Okay? Uh, he obviously doesn't trust these guys. So he's like, Joseph, I trust you. You go check on them for me. And, uh, and your point there is, number one, is some children can be trusted and they are wise. That's your blank wise. While others cannot. And I call them scorners. They are scorners. And look in, scorner is to talk arrogantly, to mock, to be mouthy. And honestly, that's a foolish child too. You could put fools in your blank if you'd prefer. But turn to Proverbs, if you would, to verse thir or chapter 13. Proverbs 13. And look in verse 1. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Look in chapter 15, if you would, in verse 12. A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. I'm telling you what, you have, you have this contrast here in Joseph and the other brothers, and you're going to maybe have that in your home, and sometimes in one of your children, and sometimes it's going to be, sometimes they're going to be scorning you, and sometimes they're going to be wise and listen to you and take a rebuke. But I'm telling you what, either way, you keep, you keep going at it, right? <laughs> but uh, your first bullet point there is, no, trust is earned through continued faithfulness, not granted freely. 
it is funny. I mean, I've heard both my kids say this to me. How come you don't trust me? Well, you know, maybe it's because you lied just last week to me. You know, it's a little bit on you. Uh, there's an element of you've got to earn it. And, I, you know, if you're going to break the trust, you're going to have to earn that back. And I'm not stupid. So I'm not going to be the father that says, okay, so you're really, you're super promising me this time you're going to not lie. You know, I'm like, I'm, that's not the way it works. That's not what faithfulness is. So I would highly recommend you, uh, you don't uh, just trust them and grant it freely. Make them earn it like the rest of the world. I mean, we don't, we expect that out of everyone else. Turn to, if you're in Proverbs, turn to Proverbs chapter 25. Your numbers passage there is just how it says Moses was faithful in all his house. He was faithful. But Proverbs 25, in verse 19, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. I mean, I think it's interesting. It says and. First of all, it's, it's as bad as having a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. That, I mean, either one sounds really bad. Okay, uh, But to have them both at the same time, that's what it's like to trust an unfaithful man. Um, Melanie broke her foot well, I don't know how many years ago was it? Eight, five, four? Oh, she says four. No, I think it was more than that. Okay, whatever. Uh, but she broke her foot, and I'm telling you what, that, that made life at the Warner home a whole lot more difficult. Thankfully, we had very good friends that helped me out because she couldn't, you know, do a lot. And uh, we actually had a Disney trip planned, and we actually went. It was near the end of it, and she was going to try to walk. She tried to walk that first day on her broken foot that was healing, and uh, it swelled, and you know, we had to get her wheelchair the rest of the time. But I'm telling you what, it was a big deal, wasn't it? I mean, we had to push her everywhere we went, didn't we, Cameron? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to go to Disney World with someone with a broken foot. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that's like confidence in an unfaithful man. It causes a lot of problems, a lot of trouble for you. Don't, don't put confidence in unfaithful children. Don't naively trust your children. Prove them. And uh, you know, reprove them and restrain them until they earn it back, honestly. And then your second bullet point, it's wise to seek counsel, counsel especially of those who are older. Um, I think that's important because you know, sometimes we are too prideful to ask for help. And I just think it's best to to humble yourselves, and, and, and I think I made this point a little bit last week on the parenting thing, but um, I know when Cameron was young, uh, he, he, was, he was tough on us. You know, he was, a, he was a little bit of a pickle, let's just say that, when he was a, you know, a three- and four-year-old kid. And uh, I remember Melanie and I calling Tom and Linda, uh, and they were a huge resource for us. And, I mean, heck, we've probably called them many times since. But... Uh, you know, they had their, their children a little older than our children, and, you know, we knew they believed what we believed, and so my point is, you want to seek out people that believe the book, and they're going to try to do it by the book, and then, of course, they had their children older, so perfect, perfect reason to go ask them. They've probably already covered some of this ground, and they, they helped us. They encouraged us to do what the Bible said, and I encourage you to find people like that in your life. Turn, turn to Second Chronicles, if you would, chapter 10.
Second Chronicles 10. And look, let's look in uh, verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem. It's interesting, in Shechem. For to Shechem were all Israel come to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was in Egypt, whether he had fled from the presence of Solomon, the king, heard it, that Jeroboam returned out of Egypt. And they sent and called, and called him. So Jeroboam and all Israel came and spake to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore ease thou somewhat the grievous servitude of thy father and his heavy yoke that he put upon us, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Come again unto me after three days. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men that had stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, and saying, What counsel give ye to me to return answer to this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou be kind to this people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him and they that stood before him. And he said unto them, What advice give ye that we may return answer to this people which have spoken to me, saying, Ease somewhat the yoke that thy father put upon us. And the young men that were brought up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou answer the people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it somewhat lighter for us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. So the younger men were telling him, Be even harder on him. That'll, that'll do it. And the older men were saying, Speak kind, be kind to him. You know, be, you speak softly to him you know, and, and teach them. Uh, the whole point is, it goes on, if you read the rest of the story, Rehoboam took the advice of the young guys and the whole kingdom blew up. It divided, and that's when you have Israel and Judah divided. And uh, it was God's plan, and I get that. But the fact is, the older men had the wise advice there. The younger men were you know, not as wise, apparently, and it, it, it caused the division in the kingdom. So my, I guess what I've always taught Cameron, and he's done a great job with this, is go get advice from older men if you ever have a question. You know, not just me. And he's gone to Tommy for advice. He's gone to Ed Kramer for advice. He's gone to Pastor Jay for advice. He's gone to Pastor Stephen for advice. He's met with all of them. And I'm very thankful for all of those men. Because I, I trust them. And I'm like, you know, if they speak differently than me on that, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that because I'm dad. But, uh, you know, I don't think that ever happened, honestly. But, it's, I mean, some of the stuff we're talking about might be somewhat subjective and not, not quite black and white. So, you know, it might be a matter of preference. But, um, you know, Cameron's done a great job with that. And I'm very thankful to have men that I can point him to. That I'm like, go ask them. Go ask any of our friends, you know. Uh, and and that's, that's the blessing of, of seeking out older people. And I would highly encourage you to teach your kids to do that. It's been a huge blessing for us. Uh, point number two. Make your way back to Genesis, if you would. You know, initially, you know, we, we saw Joseph. He goes to Shechem, and then he goes on, and he, he can't find him in Shechem, so he goes on to Dothan. He's asking around where they might be. He finds somebody that might have saw him, and he goes on to Dothan. And uh, so he was... He was all in it to, to go finish the job that, that his father sent him out to do. Um, I think he would have been fine to go back and would have claimed that he obeyed his father, but he was, he was going all the way. And, and I, I, point number two here is, how hard are we going after the world that hates Christ and us? You know, it, it, it takes a bit of a, an intentionalness about going after the world. It does. You have, to, you have to actually intentionally prepare yourself to go after the world if you're waiting for them to come to you, uh, you know, they're not just walking in our building. They're not just coming to church. That's not, what they're, you know, that's not our goal. We don't build a nice building and 
say, hey, everybody welcome and hope they come. You know, it's our job to go out. And, uh, you know, it's often, you know, when you go to somebody's house, do you go to the, do you go to the door and just stand there and just hope they answer it? No, that's kind of ludicrous, right? You're going to knock. You've got to knock. And God says he opens us unto us doors of utterance to speak. But you better learn to knock. Right. You know, a lot of us just go and, well, no one asked me today why or how to get to heaven. You know, well, of course they're not going to ask you. Um, so I just encourage you to, uh, one of the best books that I've ever read is, is the Mark Cahill book, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. I would highly recommend you all get it and read it and, uh, and, and do it. It's, uh, it's just teaches you how to witness, teaches you how to ask questions. And, and we're going to talk more about that in the life of Joseph. I think there's some good, good application to that later on here in chapter 40, but uh, we'll get to more of that later. Um, point number three, uh, verses 19 and 20, if you would look in, in chapter uh, uh, 37 there. It says, uh, and, they behold, and, and they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will save, or, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And my, my point number three here is, we are sent to reach evil men with the gospel, not gain their approval. You know, they hated, they hated Joseph, and he went to them anyways, and he had... And, and he was going to tell him what God said, you know, with his dreams. And I, I get that. But the, the application to me is we, we, better, we better realize we're not going to gain the world's approval. Our message is not one of comfort. It's, it's one of warning. Um, so, you know, th- this, these verses, look in, uh, look in 1 Thessalonians 2. And in verse 4, it says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. We are to please God and not men. And our message is not going to please men, but it will please God if we, if we do it right. Um, it's, it's certainly one of warning and of warning of the coming judgment. And, you know, the Bible says we're to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reproving, rebuking, exhorting with all long suffering and doctrine. And... Uh, we just need to make sure we're doing that. And yes, point, uh, your first bullet point, they may call you names or conspire to hurt you in some way. Mark 15, 29, you don't need to turn there, but they railed on Jesus and they wagged their heads at him. You know, uh, and, and what they say here, behold, the dreamer cometh. They're calling him a dreamer and calling him names and all that. But you know what? Thankfully in America, a law, a laws currently prevent them from hurting us. I mean, that's not necessarily going to stop them, but uh, thankfully we have some protection in our country. Not so in other countries. We ought to take advantage of it while, while we have it. Because I don't think it's going to last very much longer. I really don't. Uh, so, bullet point number two there. Sinners find solace in other sinners. These brothers were, you know, feeding off of each other. I'm telling you, you get people in groups. People get obnoxious in groups. You get that one guy that's trying to, you know, get all the accolades from his buddies. And I'm just telling you, sinners tend to flock together. Uh, so they, they got emboldened to come after him. So just beware of that. And I think that leads into my next bullet point. Be careful who you and your children are fellowshipping with. Look in Proverbs chapter 1.
You know, you end up, you end up talking and acting like those you hang out with, don't you? I mean, have you noticed that? I mean, that, that really is what happens. I mean, it's kind of discipleship, really. But, it's, uh, you know, we hang out a lot with the Kramers. I find myself saying Ed phrases all the time in my house. And it's fine, but I love it. Actually, I love it. But, I mean, I say help us all all the time because he says help us all. And, uh, you know, that's just a little Ed phrase. And I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself saying those things. And, it, and that's a good thing. That's what I'm saying. This can be a good thing. But you better figure out who you're fellowshipping with. And, and you don't want your kids or you to be hanging out with people that are rubbing off on you on the wrong way, because it does happen. And uh, look in Proverbs 1, verse, oh, where verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they, come, if they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those get, that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. Sounds like the Democrat Party. Uh, but anyway, verse 15. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. You better, you better be careful who you're fellowshipping with. You better, you better be careful who your children are hanging out with. It's a big deal. They will become like them. And uh, So, anyways. Number, point number four. Sin always takes you further than you ever intended to go. You know, what started out as envy in these guys, they, just, they hated their brother, they envied him, and then it became, hey, we have this opportunity. Let's slay him, let's kill him. We can get rid of this dreamer right now. And then, then it even gets worse. Then they sell him into slavery. And, uh, you know, just sin always takes you further than you, in, than you ever intended to go. We don't have time to go to those passages, but I'm telling you, the promises of the pleasures of sin aren't worth t- the terrible consequences, are they? It, it pays terrible wages. It's death. And uh, I'm telling you, if you're going to invite sin into your life, pretty soon it's going to be driving. It's really what, what, what it works. It's just like you're in quicksand. You can dabble in it, and eventually you can get your own foot out of quicksand a little bit. But as soon as you start sinking too deep, now you're in too deep. Now you need help to get out. And good luck finding that help. Because uh, it's, it's not easy. I mean, that is why we have discipleship in the ministries we have. But I'm telling you what, there's consequences to sin, and you can't let it let it get that, that far. Because and you need to remember this. Sin is not a little thing. All sin. All sin is not a little thing. By by degrees, men get very familiar with sin. We we start dabbling in it just a little bit. We've fallen off just a little. And then all of a sudden then all of a sudden it becomes a habit. And then it just takes over your life and takes over your mind. And that's why I'm like all sin, if you could see for it for what it really is, it, it's what hung Jesus on the cross. All sin. It's what nailed his hands to the cross and his feet to that cross and plated that crown of thorns on his head. And I'm telling you what, you would flee from it like you would a spider or a serpent if you understood what sin was. And if we could grasp that and remember that that sin hung our Savior on the cross, it might, it might allow you to realize sin is no little thing. No sin is little. No sin is little. And uh, these brothers just, it festered. And it kept going and kept going and they got in too deep and they were fine and justifying themselves in killing and, and, or selling their brother off. That's how it just takes you further than you ever intended to go. Number five, the sad state of complete and utter selfishness. Look in the, I want you to see this in Genesis 37 if you would. Uh, <clears throat> verse 21, and Reuben heard it and delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And uh, they end up throwing him in the pit. Uh, look in uh, 
Look in verse 25. After they throw him in the pit, there's no water. Verse 25. And they sat down to eat bread. Can you imagine? They just roughed up their brother. They threw him in a pit. And now they're going to sit down and have a nice meal. And they didn't, they didn't have any conviction. I mean, just utter selfishness. They were all about them. And uh, oh, it's just, that is so sad. But look, for your first bullet point, they were thinking about their own profit. Look in verse 26. It says, And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Good grief. They're worried about profit. Uh, the love of money is truly the root of all evil. I mean, they were, they were literally wanting to make some money off of this. They, they decided that's a, better, that's a better scenario. They can get rid of him and make money. Um, so be careful about that. Uh, profit is certainly not a four-letter word. I get it. But uh, we better be careful of making profit off of God's people, right? Um, you see a lot of that in the TV preachers and what have you, but uh, just be careful. Uh, the golden rule, that's your next point. The golden rule the brothers ignored. I do want you to turn to Matthew 7. They weren't at all thinking about what their brother Joseph might be going through in his head. And I often think the golden rule would help us in so many ways in our life if we would read it and heed it here. Look in verse 12. It's stated a few times in, your, in the Gospels. We'll just go to this one. It says, therefore, oh, wait a minute, I got the wrong verse. 7.12. Nope, therefore, therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's not, it's not a hard concept. You know, the Bible also says to love your neighbor as yourself. And no one has ever yet hated themselves, regardless of what, you know, people try to say, I promise you, they love themselves. And uh, you know what? You need to love others as you love yourself. And uh, I'm just telling you, one example I have of, of this that, I, I don't know, this is a weird example, and I'm sorry for it, but this happened to me at work. Um, and this is, uh, I had to, at ODOT, we have to pay for our conferences that we go to out of our own pocket, and then we get reimbursed, okay? And we, had to, we have to have proof for, that we attended the conference. Um, well, I, uh, there was one, it was in a winter time, this is a number of years ago, that we, uh, there was a huge snowstorm, and it was in Columbus, and it was a one-day conference, and I couldn't get there safely. No one could. We were having people slide off roads. It was really, there was no traveling that day. So we couldn't get there, and uh, all that to say was me and another guy uh, that couldn't make it, and I asked, you know, how can I get reimbursed, and they're like, uh, yeah, there's no mechanism in place to do that. And I'm like, how can that be possible <laughs> that you can't get me reimbursed? They're like, well, you know, the conference went on because they did hold the conference, even though not as many people showed up. So I, uh, you know, had written the email asking to see if I could get reimbursed. But I ended up being honestly ridiculed a little bit by my bosses over this whole thing. I, I, the whole point is they obviously didn't have a way to reimburse me through crazy government rules. So... Either way, it ticked me off, and all I really wanted them to do was empathize with me at this point. You know, if they could see it from my perspective, if this happened to you, would you be like, oh, that's okay, you'll, get, you'll make it up later. And that's really what they told me. Oh, over time, you'll, you'll, you'll get that back. I'm like, how over time? Just, <laughs> I don't even understand what that means. But either way, it was frustrating to me, and I'm like, all, all they had to do was just say, yeah, we, need to, we, we should probably do something to, to, to make it up 
you know, to figure out a way to reimburse you. They have petty cash. Trust me. They had a way to do it. But trust me, I, I got told to be quiet about it. And I was like, okay, fair enough. I'll be quiet about it. But I'm, I'm telling you, we need to see things from other people's perspective. You ever, you know, have you ever watched your favorite sports team and try to watch it from the perspective of the other fans, the officiating? <laughs> I'm, not many people do. And you should try it because almost every time when your team loses, the officiating was the problem. But uh, I'm just telling you, try to see it from another perspective. That's the golden rule. And do that in life mainly. Don't, you don't care about the sports team thing. But if you could see it from their perspective, maybe you wouldn't you know, say things like you do or, or you would be much more considerate of others. And that's, and that's really what I'm getting at. They weren't considerate of Joseph. They didn't care about Joseph. They cared about themselves. Um, number six, we've got to quickly move on and we'll wrap up here. But Reuben, while seemingly worried about Joseph, I, we, we read the passage, he was really only concerned with himself, you guys. Did you notice he was worried because he was going to get in trouble? He was the oldest. He was going to be held accountable. And he, he was, you know, it seems like he was going to, uh, you know, save Joseph out of the pit when the other brothers weren't looking. But check this out. I want you to see this. Uh, verse 29. And Reuben returned. Oh, I'm sorry. Chapter 37, Genesis. And Reuben returned unto the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes. Oh, it sounds like he's super spiritual, right? Now check what he says. And he returned unto the brethren and said, the child is not, with, is not, and I, whither shall I go? He was all worried about who? Him. He, didn't, he wasn't worried about Joseph. He was fine with that. He hated him just like the other brothers. But he was worried about how am I going to cover my skin with my dad? I'm going to be the one held accountable here. He was a selfish, selfish uh, decision on his part. Um, number seven. Jacob produced after his own kind. His sons lied to him just like he did to his father Isaac. And the sins of the father are often passed down. You know, he, they bring back that coat of many colors to him. And you know what? They tell him this whole tale about how, a, you know, he must have been eaten by a, an animal of some sort or whatever, a beast. And, uh, you know, they let his father believe that up until later on in the story, which we'll get there. But I'm telling you. Jacob did the same thing to his dad. He lied to his dad, and you're not gonna you're gonna produce after your own kind, guys, and, and ladies too. And you know, we have sayings that we even use this, like father, like son. The apple fall, doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, a chip off the old block, you know, and it, it is true. They're true. Um, because the Bible says the sins of the father are often passed down. And lastly, number eight, and we'll end here. God's invisible hand was upon Joseph even in and through this adversity. You know, God, God at the last verse, it says, And the Midianites sold him unto Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Sounds like a horrible thing. He's a big leader in Egypt, but you know what? God's going to work his little deal here, and it's going to be awesome what, what happens. And we're going to see get into that next week. But uh, you know what? God directs him to Potiphar's house, and we're going to, and it's a tragic thing, right? This tragic event that just happened but he works it out for incredible good. That sounds a whole lot like the cross. This whole tragic event of the cross, the reason we're sitting here today and we get to gather together and worship and celebrate and be thankful for what God has done for us is because of the cross, a whole terrible event, a tragic event in history. So, and you know, I guess I want to ask you this. Are you going through some fiery trial right now? You know, have you lost a loved one? Is there a crisis at home? You know, uh, maybe a health issue? You know, all of these things, you know, God promises to work them out for good. 
It doesn't mean he's going to fix it. I'm not saying that. But he will work it for good if, if you trust him and obey him and honor him through it all like Joseph did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just this uh, 